like the Lord's met with us tonight, amen. And uh, thank you, Miss Amy and Miss Tasha. Well, it seems like seems like yesterday God brought the Deer family to us here at Loomis, and it isn't yesterday, it's a few years ago, and Miss Tasha, Eric stole her, amen. And uh, we got that beautiful family, and of course, Miss Amy, thank you so much. If you look at your Bibles there in Matthew chapter 22, Tommy's ready for preaching tonight, amen. You leave him alone, Brother Tim, amen. Don't you mess with him. You let him praise the Lord, amen, church? Amen. Love, I love it when I hear Tommy. Tommy gets to moaning, amen. <laughs> That's right, amen, amen. And look at verse number 35 and 36. It says, Then one of them, which is a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, a lawyer in the Bible is not like it means today. A lawyer in the Bible was a master of the Old Testament law. They were someone that knew the Old Testament inside and out. Someone that knew the law of God. And the Bible says here that the Pharisee was not asking out of an honest heart. Not asking because he really wanted an answer. He was asking to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say this? It's always a bad move to tempt God. <laughs> All through his ministry... These religious Jews tried to catch Jesus in his word. And I will say this, it's awful hard to catch God in his words. Amen. You're not going to trip up God with a trick question. Amen. Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be God in all God's people said. For even hereunto where you call, Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. And so here the lawyer thought that he could silence Jesus with this question. And again, if you, you know Matthew chapter 22, and I know many of you do, there's three groups that tried to silence Jesus with three specific questions on three specific issues. There was the Herodians. And they tried to silence Jesus on the question of tribute or money. And you remember his wonderful answer. You hate it around this time of year, especially as we get toward tax time. Because he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, I just don't pay my taxes. Well, God bless you, but you're going to end up in prison. That's what happened to Ken Hoven. I love Brother Hoven. Midwestern grad. He ended up in prison because he didn't pay his taxes. Render unto Caesar. Now, I don't believe you ought to render to Caesar one nickel more than you should. Forgive me. Uh, I remember when they were talking about this. Oh, oh, don't you just, you know, you can pay more. And, and, and by the way, it's always somebody on one side of the saying, say, hey, you should pay more. Why don't you pay more? I pay what Caesar tells me to and not a penny more. So they talked to him about that. And then they questioned him. Then you remember the Sadducees came. And the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. And they brought him questions about the resurrection. And he silenced them. 
the Herodians, if you look at verse 22, it says, And when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. When he answered the Sadducees, and you remember there was a story about a man who was married to a woman and then he died and, and he couldn't have any seed, so his brother came and married her, and she over and over and over again married into this family and never had any seeds. And in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus answered and said, Look, in the resurrection, it's not going to be like that. It wouldn't be like the angels of heaven. And what does it say in verse 33? It says, And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. And after unbelief and worldliness and rationalism had been defeated in debate, <clears throat> formalism came forward. With its preoccupation with the law. And Jesus answered the Pharisees, didn't he? We read that passage. You know what it says in verse 46? I love this. It says, And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forward forth ask him any more questions. But the lawyer's question remained to be answered. What is the greatest commandment? Now, the Lord didn't hesitate. The Lord just, Jesus didn't say, let me think about that. I'll be honest with you. But a lot of times if somebody asks me a question, I say, I'd like to study that. I, I want to be thorough. But obviously, when you're God Almighty... You don't have to study that. Amen? And what did he say? He said in verse 37 through 39, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Can I tell you this from just a personal perspective, but I believe it applies to you. I have no doubt in my mind that God loves me. None whatsoever. You know what the Bible says? It says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, hey, I qualify. I qualify. I'm a sinner. Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. First John 4.10, love this verse. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. R.A. Torrey had a sermon on this verse entitled, The Greatest Sentence in the Bible. So the Bible clearly tells us of God's unconditional love for us. But ladies and gentlemen, though God's love for me is scripturally obvious and unquestioned, God's love for you is the same. To those who choose to live by faith, may I say this? We should love God too. That's what it says here, that the greatest commandment is that we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Now kind of the thought for this message tonight is a great sin in the local church. If I, if I were to ask you, what would be a, a great sin within a local church? I think we'd get several answers, and, and by the way, all of them would have merit. If we could say, listen, murder is a horrible sin. It steals the life of somebody else. Imagine, I, I know of a church. I know of a church. I know the pastor well. He took over a church where the pastor murdered a deacon. 
And the reason he murdered a deacon was because he was carrying on an adulterous relationship with the deacon's wife. A pastor. Now, all, of that, all of those sins would qualify pretty heavy as far as we would say a greatest sin within a local church. I think of I think of ones we can we can think of rape or, or selling drugs or booze adultery abortion uh, we can go on and on but I want to submit to you ladies and gentlemen that if the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart then the greatest sin that you and I could commit is to not love the Lord your God with all your heart to give Him half-hearted service and tepid love. You ever drink a lukewarm cup of coffee? Man, that is just, it's sinful. That might be the greatest sin within the local church right there, amen? It's, it's awful. You, oh. you, you either, either drink it cold, put ice in it, or put it in the microwave. I always say about my wife, I can come home and tell what kind of day she's had. If I look at her coffee cup and it's got like four rings around it, that means she reheated her coffee four times. It's not going to be good. I just try to, you know, keep in my own lane and, and uh, stay clear. Amen. I know it's been a rough day. No, listen, ladies and gentlemen. We, this is a command. This is not just for the pastor or the deacons or church leadership. This is for everyone who calls himself a child of God. Yeah, God loves us, absolutely. But we ought to love him. And, and, and you know, of course, obviously, I know you know these verses here, but then in verse 39 it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then verse 40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now again, think of the moral law. When we think of the moral law, what do we think of? We think of the Ten Commandments. Amen? The moral law. The first four commandments encompass man's duty toward God. In that, it says this. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Correct? That is our duty toward God. Not to have any gods before Him. The second commandment, not to have any graven images. So we're not to worship any idols or anything like that. Third commandment, not to use the Lord's name in vain. And the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath. All of that encompasses man's duty toward God. Right there. Those four commandments. But then you have the last six commandments, and they sum up our duty one to another. The first one, number five, honor your parents. By the way, there's no expiration date on that, young people. No expiration date. Oh, there will come a day, listen, if you're young right now and you think you got it all figured out, hallelujah, we were all 18 months, amen. <laughs> you know what? There will come a day where they won't be your commanders anymore. They'll be your counselors. And Brother Ben, you'll be glad you had years to get counsel and honor your parents. It doesn't mean they tell you what to do. It means you honor them. So that's commandment number five. Commandment number six, do not kill. I'd say that sums up man's duty toward man. And again, if you know that verse, it really says do no murder. In the Hebrew, do no murder. And what's the next one? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, that's man's duty toward man. If you're married to a wife, I have no business with that woman. Amen. Then you know it says the eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. Taking what's not yours from somebody else. 
ninth commandment, thou shalt not commit false witness against thy neighbor. What's that? Lying. Lying. And then the last, and it's amazing how many of these commandments are summed up in the last one, and that's thou shalt not covet. You know, if you don't covet your neighbor's wife, you won't commit adultery with her and you won't kill. It all started with coveting that which wasn't yours. And that's man's duty toward me. And that's why it says here on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you'll just love God like you're supposed to, you won't have any graven images. You won't use his name in vain. You'll remember the Sabbath. Amen. You won't have any of the gods before him. If you'll just uh, love your neighbor as yourself, you'll honor your parents. You'll not kill. You'll not commit adultery. You'll not steal. You'll not lie. You'll not covet. And so uh, it's just amazing when you think about this. Why is it so important that we love God supremely? Well, if we don't, then... I don't really believe that anything else, spiritually speaking, really matters. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I want to look at a couple passages, and then I'll get into the outline. It's a simple outline tonight. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. This chapter is often read at weddings. It is, it is the love chapter. It's a great chapter of the Word of God. The word in the King James is uh, charity. Beautiful word. It means love. I want you to notice something just in the first few verses here. We don't have time to, to read them all, but uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and in angels. Boy, that would be something, wouldn't it? And have not what? Charity. Or love. I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, that'd be something. Wow. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, that's a lot of alls right there. So that I could remove mountains. Now that's some faith right there. What's it say? And have not charity? I am nothing. So I can have all that, but if I don't have charity, I'm nothing. If I don't have love. And then verse 3. I always think about this in regards to the judgment seat of Christ. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I don't think any of us have done that. And though I give my body to be burned, I know none of us have done that. Because we're all still here. And have not what? Charity. You know what it says here? It profiteth me nothing. So what does that tell me here? Loving God is important. Loving God is to be the motivator for what I do. See, sometimes I think especially with my own children. My children, they have been, they, I remember when my son Eric was born out in Connecticut. We were at Harvest Baptist Church. He was born and the next Saturday we had him in the buggy, Brother Jim, out door knocking in May. So literally that kid was out uh, ministering, we gave him a set of tithing envelopes when he was born, amen, and you know, just, just, my kids, they've just been raised in church. Eric, Luke, and Cotty have been raised in church. If they're not careful, they can serve God without loving God. Church family, if you're not careful, come on now, you see where I'm going? 
You can serve God and we need servants. We need faithful servants. We need Sunday school teachers. We need helpers. We need people for free Bibles. We need people in the choir. All the other ministers we're going to talk about coming up here in these, this next month and a half. Yes, we need faithful people, but we need people who do it because they love God. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. obviously if you're saved. Yes, that matters. That's, that's of ultimate supremacy. It determines where you spend eternity. But after that, it matters whether you love God or not. That's why Jesus said it was the greatest. The greatest commandment. Quoted right out of Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, Revelation. Unto the angel, the messenger, the angelos, it's really the, to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. If you want to know what those stars and candlesticks are, just go back one verse. It says in the middle of verse 20, chapter 1, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Those are the messengers, the pastors. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, these seven local churches, Jesus walks among them. He holds them in his hand. And he says, I know thy works. He's talking to the pastor in the church of Ephesus here. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hath labored and hast not fainted. In essence, ladies and gentlemen, and I mean this with all deference and reverence, the Lord Jesus says to this pastor of Ephesus and to this church... Thank you. Thank you for your stand. Thank you for your works. Thank you for your labor. Thank you for your patience. Thank you that you can't bear them which are evil. God help us in churches. Uh, listen, I understand being gracious to people, but there are people who are evil. And it's not up to us to hug on them. Oh yes, we want to love them to Christ, but if they're not going to come to Christ, we're going to be on different teams. he say? He said that they tried those that were false apostles. And this was a church that was doctrinally sound and straight. Should we be kind of that kind of church? Yes, we should be. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The only fellowship we have with unbelievers is to get them to Christ. And I think about... It, we, we looked at the Bereans a couple weeks back in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that with all readiness of mind, they searched the scriptures daily. How important. It says here that they had borne, they labored, they didn't fade, and Jesus is bragging on, but then he says in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee. I think if we can put that in our modern vernacular. Said you're doing you're doing so many things right, and I thank you for it. But there's one really important thing that you need to get straightened out. Right, Tommy? See? That's how I know I'm preaching good. When kids fall asleep, adults stay awake, and Tommy gets to humming back there. Amen. What is Jesus saying? What's he saying to this pastor, to this church? He says, in essence, you know what he's saying? You don't love me like you used to. 
Those of us that got saved as adults, remember what that was like? When you talk about, I, 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 it's good for me, the Bible talks about in Hebrews 10.32, call to remembrance the former days which you were illuminated. And I, I go back and I think about me with my hair down to here. And I think about, I think about driving to work, at a 45-minute drive to work. And my faith at that time was just so real. And not that it's not real now, it's even more real now. But, but I would, I, I kid you not, you can think whatever you want of me, amen. I used to drive to work. And I would buckle the Lord Jesus Christ in the passenger seat. I would buckle that. I had a Jeep Wrangler. And I would buckle that seat. And I would. And this is the days before. So you know. You see somebody talking. Now you pull up to an intersection. You see somebody talking. You know they're talking through the Bluetooth. Or they got that little earpiece or something. If they pulled up to me and saw me talking. They went. And sped off. Amen. Because I was talking to nobody. Amen. They thought I had an imaginary friend. Amen. My faith was just so pure at the time. Just, Lord, I just want to talk to you. Like, I know you're really here. Remember what that was like, Christian? When you just you, you wanted to tell everybody you could about Jesus, about, about this Jesus that saved your soul and was changing your life. And, and then you cooled off a little bit. at number one, the motivation of the great commandment. That's in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3. And If we're going to receive a reward at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to have to love the Lord. That's going to have to be the motive of our service. The motivation of the great commandment. And listen, I, duty, duty is a good reason to serve. And I, I posted this week about devotion and duty are kind of linked together. See, devotion is, is the tree, but duty is the fruit that falls off the tree of devotion. You know what I mean by that? You say, I love God, it will be proven in the works that you do. That's the, and, and I believe some people truly love God. They serve for duty. I understand that. I understand that. I remember I heard the story of the man, and I've told it before, so if, if you know this illustration, don't move your lips with mine when I give it, amen? But it was a man who came to the church, came to the church he came to the pastor, and he, he kind of had this huffing and puffing, and pastors deal with all kinds of personalities, you know, and he, he said, he said, Pastor, I gotta, I gotta ask you a question, and boy, that's, that's loaded, Brother Ben, when somebody says that, here it comes, buddy, amen? You're gonna get both barrels with this question. He said, should I give my tithe if I give it grudgingly? It just it burdens me to, to, to give the tithe, and it just bugs the snot out of me. And you talk about giving to God and all that, and the pastor, without hesitating, said, yes. He said, give it grudgingly. Then you'll only be guilty of giving grudgingly. You won't be guilty of being a thief. <laughs> You know, you ought to serve God whether you love Him or not. But if you want a reward one day at the judgment seat of Christ, you better get to serving Him because you love Him. So the motivation of the great commandment. How about the solution of the great commandment? Someone asked J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, Mr. Taylor, 
Don't you think that the number one requirement for missionaries is that they love souls? Jay Hudson Taylor said no. The number one requirement for missionaries is that they love God. If they love God, they'll love souls. You know, the solution of the Great Commandment is this. Every problem in every church is a love problem. Either a lack of love for God or a lack of love for each other. And by the way, the church that loves God properly, vertically, loves each other properly. Huh? The motivation of the Great Commandment. The solution of the Great Commandment. When I love God like I'm supposed to, I love souls and witness to them because I love God. Even if I'm afraid, even if I don't feel like I can do Brother Treadway's 13 points, or I'm going to try to witness because I love Him. And I know they need Him. I think of the Apostle Peter. Remember when he quit the ministry in John chapter 21? Now remember, he had denied the Lord, right? Went out, wept bitterly. But then, remember what he said in John 21? Now go there with me, amen. Let's, let's look at that passage, John chapter 21. It's a, one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus here. It's a great passage of scripture. John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, After these things Jesus showed himself alive again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. They were together. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel and Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. He wasn't just going out to catch some perch. He was going back to his old way of life. Remember, that's how he made his living. It's a public announcement. Going back to, you know, remember what he said when he when, when Peter said to Jesus that Jesus said I'm going to go and be killed and, and uh, I'm going to go away and, and Peter said what about us? We've forsaken all and followed you. Here's Peter at a moment of deep discouragement. And by the way, it's so wonderful you can read this passage yourself. But it's so wonderful that the Lord Jesus comes to us in our moments of deep discouragement. happens here? It's, it's interesting because not only does Peter say, I'm going back, but look what it says at the back half of verse 3 there. It says, I go fishing, and six other preachers said, we also go with thee. You better remember this, Christian, you never quit alone. Always take somebody with you. I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen pastors quit and so discourage congregations that 30 people leave the church because the pastor resigned. No. You keep reading. It says there, they went into the ship, I love this, and immediately in that night they caught nothing. And I tell you this, you get out of God's will and you are in for fruitlessness. <laughs> it's actually wonderful. It just, it's a way God cares and chastens. says, no. And just think about it. Peter was an experienced fisherman. John, James and John. That's what they did for a living. You can see, see literally God saying, okay, fish, move over to the left. Everybody to the left. 
Here comes the hook. Amen. They're just looking at each other. Cross-eyed. You know? Okay, everybody over to this side. Amen. <laughs> and then you know what happened. The Lord Jesus calls to them and they say, this is, it's the Lord. And, you know, and you remember what happened if you look at verse 15. After Jesus feeds them and it says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? You know, there's always been some theological debate. What's he talking about? Is he talking about the food they just ate? Is he talking about the disciples? Amen. Do you, do you love me more than these? Well, whatever it is. Remember, by the way, it was Peter was the one who said, uh, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and death. And how many times did he deny the Lord? And so Jesus asks him three times in verse 15, 16, and 17, Lovest thou me? Say, why did Peter quit the ministry? I'll tell you why. Because he just got out of love with Jesus. He just forgot. You say, could that really happen? It happens all the time. You know how I know it happens all the time? Because I've been out of love for the Lord. Don't look at me like your visitors from heaven tonight, amen? The only thing holding up your halos is your, is your horns, amen? Yeah. No, you, you've fallen out of love with the Lord. Hey, think about your Bible time. Think about your prayer time. Why do you do it? Oh, I've got to check off that box. pastor might ask me. My kids, dad might ask me if I read my Bible today. That's not in love with the Lord. That's in fear of dad. Huh? Charles Spurgeon said, I want to love God so much that when I look up to heaven and say, Dear Jesus, I love you, that he would say, Yes, Charles, I know. I heard a little story of a preacher who had a beautiful little girl. And he had a study at the house. And every time he would get in a study and kind of start reading, she would, she would come in and she would say, Daddy, Daddy, can I have a quarter? Can, you know, can I, the ice cream man's coming down the street. Can I? And one day, she just wore his patience thin. And he was in the study reading and she, she came into the room and she snuggled up real close to him and he, he turned real quick and he said, what do you want this time? And he broke her little heart. And she said, she started crying, she said, I don't want anything this time. I just wanted to tell you that I love you. And she put her arms around him and hugged him. And the man, of course, was broken. And some of the sweetest times that you and I have ever had at an altar like this is times where we didn't ask for anything. We just said, God, I just want you to know I love you. I love you. Do you like it when people tell you they love you? You know what you're made in? The image of God. You know what that means? He likes to hear it too. And more than hear it with the lips, He loves to hear it with your life. 
that's why he said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So there's the motivation of the great commandment, the solution of the great commandment. How about the obligation of the great commandment? Go to 1 John, almost by revelation. 1 John. The obligation of the great commandment. This is not just a touchy-feely love. It's not just lip service. Jesus would say, in, uh, he would quote Isaiah 29, 13 uh, about the Pharisees. He said, this people draweth nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What did Jesus say? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The inside, the real you. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 3, please. If you mark your Bible, it's a good verse to mark. It tells, it tells those around you and you whether you really love God or not. What does it say? It says, for this is the what? Love of God. That we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. What is this? This is the obligation of the great commandment. Adherence to the great commandment solves our obedience problems or at least it tears away the veneer of all our excuses. There's a very small number of Christians who will just obey God whenever He says to do something, whatever He says to do an obligation. If we truly love God, I know in my life since I've been saved there have been times when God has spoken and I have not obeyed. And again, we could all say amen on me. Yeah. Why? Why didn't we obey? I can tell you why. It's, it's as plain as the nose on our face is because at that moment we loved ourselves more than we loved God. Hmm? I believe that's called pride. That's what that is. I know better than God. God said to do this, but I'm going to do this. That's pride. It's pride. It's saying, I know more than God, which of course is not true. But what it really says is, I don't love God enough to trust Him. Well, Ben, you and your family, a new season of trust not that you haven't before. Wonderful. New season of trust. I love missionaries. I admire them. Missionaries, many of them are my heroes. I just think of them going to play. But you know what? It takes love to send missionaries too. And there's a lot of my heroes that are right in this room. God says next year, puts it on your heart to give something to missions. And you think, how am I going to do that? Ever been there? Yeah, it's called April. <laughs> Every April. Yeah. Now there's obligation with the great commandment. Well, if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. We'll do what he says. So there's obligation of the great commandment, the solution of the great commandment, the motivation of the great commandment. I think about this. Bob Jones Sr. said, God uses the thermometer of obedience to test the temperature of love. Hmm. This commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. You know, loving the brethren is an obligation of keeping the great commandment. It's the next great commandment, isn't it? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So there's the motivation, the solution, the obligation. How about 
all the way back in the book of Psalms. Psalm 5. I like this one. It's really, what we're looking at tonight is really kind of a word study on love. Psalm chapter 5. try to steer clear from Psalms this year. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I preached 41 messages out of Psalms last year. <laughs> Amen. Uh, verse chapter 5, if you look at verse number 11. So there's the motivation of the great commandment, the solution of the great commandment, the obligation of the great commandment. How about the jubilation of the great commandment? Verse 11, chapter 5. But let all those that put their trust in me, what? Rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that, what? Love thy name, be what? Be joyful in thee. Forgive me, you don't have to walk around like an idiot, like a fool. I'm just joyful. No, but I tell you this, there's far too many Christians that look like they've been baptized in pickle juice and sucking on lemons. There's no joy. If there, listen to me. If there's no joy in your life, ask yourself why, and I'll give you the answers because you don't love the Lord like you should. Yeah. It tells us right here, let them that love thy name be joyful in thee. When I love the Lord like I should, joy is a byproduct. It's a byproduct. The jubilation of the great commandment. How about this one? We're in Psalms. Go to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. Oh, the theological liberals, they don't like this verse. But it's in there. They don't like a lot of verses that are in there, actually. A lot of miracles. So we have the motivation, the solution, the obligation, the jubilation of the great commandment. How about Psalm 97, verse 10? How about the indignation of the great commandment? What's that? Well, it says, ye that love the Lord, what? Hate evil. Hate evil. That's what it says. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. The more you love God, the more you'll hate evil. God hates sin. Why? Because it costs him his son. Amen? And you know what? Listen, I don't, I don't hate sinners, but I hate sin, and I hate evil. I hate what it does. Why? If I love the Lord like I should, ye that love the Lord, hate evil. It's a pendulum swing. If you love the Lord, you've got to hate evil too. And then, lastly, in Revelation 2.4, we already read it, we see the communication of the great commandment. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Anybody besides me remember when you fell in love? Oh, back in, you know, Brother Merrill's day, it was when they were had school in the caves, amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, I mean, actually, on the cave wall, saying that. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie and I lived 650 miles away from each other. She lived in Newport News, Virginia, and I lived in Westfield, Massachusetts. And, and man, I thought I would die. I mean, 
mean, we would talk. We talked on Sunday nights, and we owned Ma Bell. I'm telling you, this is that when when long you know long distance is part of your cell phone plan now. It wasn't then. I can tell you that. And we used to be on the phone for hours, and I, I just remember I couldn't, I was so looking forward to Sunday night just hearing her voice, and we would write each other letters and, and, and you know, get, get a letter in the mail. And, and I guess I, I just say this in regards to the communication of the great commandment, that true love wants to keep in touch. It wants to communicate with the object of the love. This is how the one who loves you would like to communicate with you. He has written a letter for you. This is how you can communicate with him. And you don't even necessarily have to fold your hands and bow your head, especially if you're driving. You know, if we love him, we'll want to hear from him. And the reason why we get so off on our Bible reading, come on, you know where I'm going, is we don't love Him like we should. The reason why our prayer time is rote and dutiful and just hollow is because we just don't love talking to Him. How do you know, Pastor? I've been there. Listen, I've been there this year already. God help us to love Him. Well, I love God. The greatest sin you and I can commit is to not love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. How can we love God like we should? Well, in Revelation 2.5 it tells us, Repent got to admit it. Listen, not for me, not for going to the altar, though I'm not opposed to that. I think that's wonderful. But if you haven't loved God like you should, you just got to admit it. You got you to gotta, you gotta fess up to God, you know. I, and I'm, I'm not talking about comparing yourself to anybody else. You know these points that we've just made. You know whether you truly love God or not whether your Bible time is precious to you or not, whether your prayer time is precious, whether you're walking in obedience to the commandments of Christ. How can we love God like we should? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you. See, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you're going to have. You got Him when you got saved. The question is, does He have all of you? Galatians 5, 16 or 22, I think 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Just an obvious part of the fruit of the Spirit is love, that you love God. Be filled with the Spirit. Pray and get answers to prayer. Psalm 116.1 says, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplication. Hey, you get answers to prayer, you'll love the Father who answers. And read your Bible. Just be in your Bible. Love this book. We love Him because He first. first. Well, where do we where do we hear that? 
about his love for us. We read about the cross. Just read those, read those crucifixion accounts. You want, to, you want to get to loving God? Read those crucifixion accounts. Read a whole today. Uh, I was so blessed at the beginning of the morning service reading the, our, our passage out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 on the rapture. It's going to happen one of these days, Brother Jim. Well, he sure is worth loving. The God that's going to do that. The God that's already done so much. Go back and remember blessings in your life. That'll get you to loving God like you should. Think about your precious children. How good, how gracious God has been. What's the great sin in the local church? It's to disobey the great commandment. What is it? We're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. Father, we come to you now.